static in the house. How's it going? <laughs> How you doing? I'm actually pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah great, um, great to see you. Great to see you too. I'm all right. Yeah, I feel pretty good. What's uh, been going on? Well, I uh, had a couple of mezcals last night at Bar Lunatico. Oh, you did? Did you did? Ever go there? No, where's that? It's, uh, it's like my local bar. It's uh, Richard Julian's place. It's in there. Oh, he's a good songwriter. Yeah, he's fantastic. I didn't know he, he was, I didn't know he expanded into a bar owner. He has a bar in there, Bed-Stuy, oh, okay. that specializes in cocktails and mezcal. And uh, I had a couple of those. And there, uh, I feel pretty good. No, not too bad. Not too hungover. It's a bit early for me. I can't drink anymore. I had right to give on. it. I had to give it up. Well, that's great. I had to start giving it up when I was like twenty. <laughs> and then it's it's been you like just young on in there. Yeah, no, before I was legal, I was already an active member of AA. <laughs> well, that's true. I started going oh, to AA sorry, when man. I was twenty. Oh no, it's that's good. I mean, you're not even supposed to say that. You might have to beat that part out. Whatever. Everyone t- comes out of the closet about AA now. Well, I mean, Garland, you know, my friend Garland Jeffries, he's been in AA for like 35 years. I know Garland. Yeah, so yeah. he's, you know, he's been in AA, and I know quite a few people that are in the AA. Yeah. Me, I never, he, Garland's always trying to get me in AA, actually, he's, uh-huh. he's, but I don't feel I need it. You know, it's a I'm good not, program. Oh, for sure. I don't really go much myself but anymore, but uh, it's in my back pocket. And I've definitely gone to 500,000 AA meetings right in my on. life. Well, it's great. It's very, <laughs> very helpful for people who, yeah. you know, who are alcoholics. I don't consider myself to be an alcoholic. Yeah. I mean, people might think I am. Isn't that the case with most alcoholics, James? Oh, God. <laughs> That's right. Hey, James, denial in a river in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's the proof. Look, there is no alcohol in here. This is pure carrot, beet, red apple with ginger. So when Garland tries to get you to go, what does he say? He writes me emails. Oh, really? So that's like, it's thoughtful. It's not just like... Yeah, well, kind of. And then he he, he tries to get me to go and... You know, I say I'm not an alcoholic, Garland. I don't need to go to AA. I mean, I hear the horror stories that... You know, I don't, I, you know, it's ridiculous. So I, I kind of just ignore it. I actually tell him to go, you know, don't be an idiot. I don't need to go to AA. <laughs> well, alcoholism in my mind works on a continuum. And, and it's just based on like, it goes all the way from like a housewife who drinks three yeah. glasses of wine every single day, it, it, yeah. every day. That's my mom. She's an alcoholic. Into like somebody who's drinking like, Listerine from a garbage can, right? You know, I, you know that kind of thing. I saw it's a like, guy. It's 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 a wide spectrum, and I think like the word alcoholism is kind of like in my mind neither here nor there. If you want to improve your life, maybe not drinking is probably a good idea, a good step to take. And AA is kind of a good program with some spiritual truths. That's my sort of liberal view of AA. But there's. But within AA, there's also like people that take it like real dogmatically, yeah. all the way to people who are very like loose and have the marijuana maintenance thing going on. You know, within AA, there's the whole spectrum of like the left and the right. You know, so it just depends on how dogmatic you are, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. But, um, but your mom has the three glass. We don't have to go to your mom's <laughs> an alcoholic within the first five minutes of this podcast. <laughs> 
I mean, she might be an alcoholic. She definitely drinks a lot of wine. Yeah. But she'll never see. She might see this podcast. And if keep it up, man. Keep yeah. it up. She loves it. Well, you know, to each their, I think to each their own. And she's gravitated. She, she was uh, telling me that she was buying like $5 bottles of red wine. And now she's gone up to like $10. I mean, she lives in England, so it's pounds. But yeah. 10 pounds do, uh, bottles of wine are infinitely better, apparently, than the five pound ones. Yeah. Well, I think like poets often are like the juice. She's not a poet. No, but you are. Oh, oh me. Yeah, there's a definite tradition of out of drinking and and yeah. And, but I don't want to paint myself as some kind of. I just said likes the juice. I'm not. I'm not Garland. Dylan I'm Thomas not, here. I'm not calling you an alcoholic. I'm just saying poets like the juice. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to Har- to Garland for a second. How did, oh yeah. How did you hook up with Garland Jeffries? You know, I met Garland at the light of day. Uh, which is that uh, Parkinson's charity thing that comes out of uh, Asbury Park. And uh, I went on a few of those trips around Europe with the light of day. And I met Garland on there and we became fast friends. And I love Garland. And, uh, you know, we became mates then about five years ago. And we've been hanging out ever since. I can't get rid of him. I love Garland. I met Garland through Lou, Lou Reed. Yes. Who was best friends with Garland. That's right. Yeah, and we went to go see uh, Jimmy Scott at the Blue Note. Nice. Me, Lou, and Garland. Lovely. Sat sitting there watching Jimmy Scott. Lovely. Jimmy Scott and Lou no longer with us. Yeah, I know. So now that memory sits as like some kind of like halfway version of heaven or something. Yeah, for sure. And then me and Lou went backstage and talked, and he introduced me to Jimmy Scott. Great, man. It was amazing. Good for you. That's great. I have dinner with Garland every every week here at the Westfield. Really? We want to get Garland on this podcast. Well, right on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I think shout out to Garland. Shout out to Garland. He's I wish do- he wouldn't retire. He's doing a, a gig at the uh, a retirement gig at the uh, City Winery. City Winery yeah. in, a, in a few weeks. So I'm, I'm going to go to that. that. Are you going to go? Yeah, I'm singing a, a song or so too on that. Is Emmy going to be with you? If he's in town, he might be here. I, s- I don't know if he's if he's here. If he's here, then you know who's on the bill, Joe. That we should get who? Uh, Chuck Prophet's going to be in town for that. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're good friends. Oh yeah, let's get Chuck. Yeah, Chuck is here. Yeah, Chuck Prophet's awesome. David, shout be good. out Chuck Prophet. What? David be good. Oh yeah, we want to get him too. Yimmy, he's around somewhere. Somewhere. How? So when did you start writing songs? You know, I started when I was like fourteen. I, I was playing in bands at school, and we were. Um, we were doing covers, of course. And this is in England? This right? is in England, in Leicester, in Counterstorp. Where's little, that? It's in uh, uh, just outside of Leicester, which is about dead centre in uh, England. It's the Midlands. Uh-huh. And it's like near Coventry and Birmingham and Derby and Nottingham. Uh-huh. So it's about 100 miles north of uh, London. It's, it's dead centre in the middle of, middle of England. So I was at school, had a band, and we were doing... You know the covers thing, and then I just thought, well, I'll try and write some songs. And uh, this was when you were fourteen. Yeah. So you started young. Yeah. Yeah, I, w- I was like that too. I started young because I couldn't like I had a friend who could hear a song and then just play it. For me, I would sit there and like try over and over again, and it would just be easier for me to start making up my own song because I had no skills to like learning. <laughs> to learn the other ones. Exactly. So it's just like easier for me to write my own. Great, man. Is that was that like it was for you, or were you good at learning other people's songs as well? And I was good at learning other people's songs, and I learned. Uh, you know, I I had that uh, 
Beatles Complete. Oh, okay. Which I, you know, was obsessing over when I was a kid, and I would learn all those songs. I had the piano version, not the guitar version, which was slightly more involved chordally. Uh-huh. And I would pl- learn and play the Beatles songs, which I knew a lot of them. And I think that helped me to kind of understand chords and, you know, how they how they related to each other. And I just started to write songs. And they were really terrible. And uh, I, I put out a record when I was young and... How old was the first one? I reckon I was like 18. So it wasn't like Astro Weeks, Van Morrison. Remember, he was like 18 when he put that out, I think. It's like, yeah, he, I don't get uh, that. I'm like, how, no. how are you that good, that young? Like, I don't even understand. No, that. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't, like I don't, like Bob Dylan, they just fully, they just come out fully, fully formed. Fully fledged, yeah. yeah. They're the freaks. No, I was like, <laughs> I was still like trying to be Jaco Pistorius when I was that age. Like, <laughs> it's like, I don't get how you're already Van Morrison I at that age. Yeah. I have no idea what's going on there. <laughs> Absolutely. I wrote songs when I was 14. I don't think I wrote a decent song until yeah. I was in my early 30s. I didn't even start singing until I was 21. Oh, right on. Yeah. What did you mean? Did you just play in your I bedroom? Pl- I was a fusion bass player. Oh, you were? Yeah, I didn't have the self-esteem to sing. Oh, right on. Mm-hmm. Took me a long time. I only sang because nobody else would. Right. Yeah. That was the only reason. I, I wasn't didn't want to be the singer. Were you a good singer right away? I could sing in tune. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether my voice was very good. In fact, the first time I heard myself singing, I was on talking. I could not believe that that was my voice. Mm-hmm. It just did not sound like... You know you have your head voice you know mm-hmm. how you hear yourself mm-hmm. and then when you hear yourself recorded it's mm-hmm. a completely different and did you like the way it sounded i don't say i liked it i, I was definitely impressed no not impressed uh, bewildered I, who the hell what is that yeah. sound i gotta say this this is weird but i liked my voice right away when i started did singing you? i was like i'm good like yeah. it was like i did not have a low self-esteem once right. i started right on. it took me a long time to start with a low self-esteem but then as soon as i started i'm like damn i'm good <laughs> yeah right like, it was like <laughs> I don't know whether I felt. which is unusual like i'm not normally i'm like self-doubt central but you heard but it in, and you thought, but in singing, I was like right away. I'm and amazing. I had, yeah, not not quite that, but and I wasn't that good either. By the way, <laughs> yeah, like I was wrong. <laughs> you thought you were awesome, but I thought I was onto something. Yeah. Well, that's great. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Uh, well, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. That I think you have to have some sense of. You've got to have a feeling that you're doing something good and. You know, if you think you're terrible, you're not going to pursue it, are you? No. Most, there's a lot of people who are terrible who don't realize they're terrible as well. Yeah, I hope I'm not one of them. <laughs> Sometimes I suspect I still am one of them. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> I, will, I guess, you know, we, you all, know. we all have a bit of that in this. But yeah, you got to, yeah, you have to need it, I think. I, 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 I think. I think you've also got to have no, you know, it's like Van Morrison said, he never had a plan B. Yeah. And I think, that's always been my kind of problem, I suppose. I never really thought of myself. I realised from a very early age that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, anything that got in the way of that felt very uh, alien to me and uncomfortable. That's cool. So I had to do it. In it's almost like you were protected by a spirit. Well, 
wasn't didn't make any money at it, so the spirit wasn't like helping my pay my bank account. I know. I wish the spirit would dig deeper. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> can the spirit just like throw a ton of gold on both of That's us? That's the spirit we need. <laughs> money spirit. The money spirit. There is a mantra for that, by the way. Is I'm gonna yes. teach me that later. I'll teach it to you right now. It's called Shreem Brazil. Shreem Brazil. Shreem Brazil. Shreem Brazil. I'll send you a link to it. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's Dr. Pilau. See? It works. I'm telling you. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> it works. Um, <laughs> so I'm into, like into mantras and healing. Yeah, sounds. what's all Are that you about, into man? that? No. Why not? It's rubbish. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Are you practical? Yeah. You are practical. Yeah. What's your What's your sign? What does that matter? I don't know. But somebody who practical would say that, would answer that question. <laughs> He's practical too. What's your sign? I'm Gemma. You just had a birthday. Yes. I got a birthday present for you. Thank you. I'm actually, a, my birthday is vaguely interesting if you're interested in this kind of thing. It's June. I, I am. I'm, I'm impractical. <laughs> okay. It's June 21. Oh, okay. And that makes you a Gemini? It's the longest, it's the summer solstice. Uh -huh. It's the longest day of the year. And it's between Gemini and Cancer, apparently, mm -hmm. according to the uh, the newspapers that I used to read. Hmm. Uh, but I don't really buy into any of that no. stuff. But um, have at it, man. <coughs> I think it's fun. Yeah, maybe it's fun. I think it's fun. I mean, I have spirit decks that we can pick from, too, and stuff like that. <laughs> and I have a Bible and a... Bhagavad Gita. I saw that. Yeah, I've no yeah. idea what what that is. It's like I, I want to start a new segment on the podcast. Bhagavad. I can't even say that word. Bhagavad Gita versus the Bible. What is it? An Indian Bible. Well, it's kind of like Hinduism versus Christianity. I think I don't know. You know, for me, they're all they're all equally as crazy. Mm -hmm. But I've had it. You know, I'm not. I'm not. I'm in favor of everybody having their doing what they want with religion. So, and everything. are you atheist? Yes. Really? I. You know, I'm an atheist. That's a strange kind of faith, though. Yeah, I mean, I, I am an atheist. Yeah. There is no such thing as like a faithless belief. To believe in like no nothing created this is like a wild amount of faith in nothingness. In that, in, in, kinda, a, in a right? semantic term, faith is you know it's a, it's a set of beliefs. Yeah. But um. The belief that there's a God and that there's something controlling us outside of our... I didn't say anything's controlling us. That it created the universe and all that stuff? Something created this. It didn't come from nothing. Well, why not? Because that's unreasonable to think something can come from nothing. Well, it wasn't nothing. It was obviously gases and atoms. What created and... gases and atoms? Well, what created God? Ooh. Fair point. <laughs> God always was. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a tautology. Isn't it? Okay, God always was. Okay, you can have, you can believe that. I don't know. I don't even know what I believe. <laughs> I'm just over here playing devil's advocate, James. <laughs> you know, that's my job is to be the devil's advocate and see what you believe. I don't. You know, I'm an atheist. <laughs> I'm a Marxist kind of. You know, socialist. What's that mean? Atheist. What's that mean? A Marxist is somebody who believes that uh, in order for humans to uh, live happily on Earth, we need to have a planned socialist economy, in one in which serves the interests of the uh, the working class. Mm -hmm. 
and something that uh, you know things are produced for need and not for profit. Mm-hmm. At the moment, capitalism is about a system that is about um, making things for for profit. Yeah. Uh, above all else but doesn't marxism like always end badly historically well if you mean like the soviet union and the you know that's a whole argument about you know i don't believe that uh, socialism was the soviet union was a socialist country there was a revolution in 1917 the socialist <coughs> revolution mm-hmm. but by the mid 20s it had kind of the whole idea of socialism was that it had to spread to other countries mm-hmm. and it didn't spread Okay. And there were not re- there were revolutions in other countries in, the t- in you know in the in the twenties, but it didn't result in socialism. And eventually, so the kind of so- the fledgling socialist society of Russia uh, kind of be- collapsed inwards, and Stalin took control and buried the re- ideals of the revolution and killed all the people that were involved in the revolution. And so, by the late twenties, Russia was no longer a socialist society. It never really was. It tr- it was trying to be one, mm-hmm. but it didn't achieve it. But they still use the language of socialism. You know, uh, Stalin would say we are a socialist communist country, but they were not. Mm. They were okay. nothing to do with socialism. So, you, so it hasn't it hasn't been done right. No, it's not okay. been done. Fair enough. It's not been done. Fair enough. But so far, the attempts of it have ended pretty badly. The, uh, well, they end badly because. Uh, you know, everybody tries to crush the revolution. Whenever there is a socialist revolution in any country, we see it all the time. Whenever working class people try to get together to uh, or to demonstrate and to uh, build a different society, it gets crushed mm-hmm. by the other power, by capitalism. You know, by the powers of capital. Yeah. So, so people are always trying. People are always trying for a better world. But as soon as it, it gets any power, you know, the, the, you're up against an incredibly powerful machine, mm-hmm. the, the capitalist state. Yeah. And they will kill you, and they will kill the leaders, and they will wipe everybody out. They will have no problem doing that. So it, it's a it's a tough it's a tough battle to to wage. <laughs> but never doesn't stop people trying, you know. Yeah. And I believe in the power of the working class. I believe if you know everything that we see around us, everything that is that we that we use and that we see is produced by our class the working class i call it uh-huh. uh, and yet we don't have control over those things we, they're all owned by the by the, the donald trumps of this world and the uh, jared kushners of this world and the wall street and the generals and the, yeah. the the ruling class they control all of these things yeah. and they do so in their own interest they don't do it in the interest of the of the working people and my argument is that the working people who do produce all of the wealth, whatever you see, should uh, take control of those things and, and uh, build a society based on the production of things for need and not for profit. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that uh, without this revolution, we are doomed as a, as a, as a people. I think yeah. that global warming shows us that... Uh, the, you know that the, the, the capitalist society we live in cares more about quarterly profits than it does about um, global warming. It doesn't really care. Yeah, it can't I'm, deal with it. I'm with them on that one. With everything that's been going on the last couple of years. I mean, it's so obvious to, to everybody looking around the world. There's a problem. The problem, money problems, pollution. It's a problem, but it costs money to stop pollution. And the interest of, of capitalism is not really interested in saving the world they're interested in you know money for their shareholders and their stockholders do you think there can be no sort of compassionate capitalism uh, or like or what do you think about like the power of the individual though 
I think it, or like it, there's the no individual s- like manifesting their own sort of. I think you know you you, you are the idea of individual is related to your position in society. Yeah. Like my my position in society, I'm pretty. You know, don't have any much power. Whereas you don't think so. I mean, I have certain power. Don't you think you decide uh, your power? Somewhat, but in, not in circumstances of our own choosing. Like, you I don't, don't have think you choose your own your own circumstances. No, U- you don't. Ultimately, you definitely, I don't think you do, and I think that's a, a kind of a myth that people that is instilled. I think, in I think we do. Yeah, right. I thought that, you might. Yeah, I'm one, I'm one of those. <laughs> well, it's it's. A I'm one of those, but but at the same time, like in terms of what you're talking about, like socialism versus capitalism and all that stuff, global warming. I don't have like I I don't know enough information to really speak on it with any kind of authority. So Why I not? kind of like huh? Why not? Because I just don't really know. I like I I don't really you have as much access to the knowledge as I do. Yeah, but I don't know what information is real versus what is not, and it's all you know what I mean. I'm you know I am, but I'm just saying for my own personal basis i definitely believe in the power of the individual you know but i also believe like not every, like a lot of people are born on third base and feel yeah you know and and yeah. i get that well so I, i'm also not super like passionate about one side or the other i'm interested in other people's opinions and hearing it hmm. and then taking it in and going like hmm, that's interesting i mean you look- like i like i think too many people are like super entrenched in their own side of the debate and they should be more like I don't really know. Let's be open-minded and sort of he- hear each other out without being, uh, 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 what is it called, outraged all the time. You know what I mean? Well, there's always been a, a passion in argument, and there's always been a fight between ideas in society. That's been going on for thousands of years. Yeah. Different people have different ideas, and they want to see the world run in a different way. Right. And this conflict of ideas is, is something that's been with us ever since, you know, for thousands of years. Now you might feel passionate about it. You might feel dispa- You might not feel that interested. Maybe in the, the world argument. is perfect as it is. Well, it clearly isn't. How do you How do you know? Well, you've got you know ten thousand children a day dying of starvation. You've got you know twenty two you know army veterans committing suicide every day. Yeah. You've got uh, people living hand to mouth in a, in a, in the richest country in the world. That's true. It's far from perfect for, That's true. for the vast majority of people. It's perfect if you're, you know, I'm not saying it's perfect, but if you're born into a bourgeois family and you're rich and your options are, you know, your op- your sky's the limit for these people. They can do whatever they like. But for people born, in, if you're born in, in, into a working class family in Detroit, then your options are, are very different to Jared Krishna's. Well, that's true. So this idea that we and there's another idea which I, I, I kind of rail against, which is this: you can't. It's very hard to move up the classes. Yeah. People, it's kind of American idea and somewhat English, but it's definitely here in America where people think you can become anything you want to become. You like you're saying, you can just think about something and you can become whatever you want. The American Idol idea, you know, we can all be mm-hmm. go, we can all become our, our whatever we want. You can't. It's really not. Life isn't like that. Yeah, there are lots of obstacles in your way, and uh, some people break through. But, you know, C. Wright Mills wrote that book in the 50s, I think it was, where he talked about how difficult it was for people to move from the working class to the middle class, from the middle class to the, to the upper class. And I think now it's even harder. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to move between the classes because of the way the, the power structures and the wealth structures are in America. So 
I don't, I don't really buy this idea that then it becomes if you say to everybody you can become whoever you want to become and you can't then you are always <clears throat> feeling that you're a failure Cause, yeah because it's your fault that you can't become rich and successful or wh whatever it is you're, you're aiming at yeah. you see i think america has this idea of the the the, the opposite in a way because the it's all about the individual and it's saying you can achieve your dreams and your goals and everybody should I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm not telling people not to do that i just think that the reality of life is much more difficult than than, than people are fed there's, there's a, a, the italian marxist antonio gramsci had this expression mm. uh, pessimism of the will optim optimism of the will pessimism of the intellect mm. so you have to have this idea that you can achieve things you have to have the optimism to go forward yeah but you also have, a, have an intellectual understanding that things aren't always going to go your way well of and course you have to, you have to fight inside that those uh, two yeah, that contradict that conflict is, is, yeah. is what we did deal with on a, as artists we deal with that on a daily basis when uh, yeah. we sit, when we sit down with a guitar and a, oh yeah and we've picked a, a career that's that's, yeah, that's that's brutal like terrible a, career a brutal version of that it really is and you and you fought through it well I, i'm trying every day well you have i mean you have and you continue to i mean and, well, and as of you as of i yeah for very much so yeah it, music is a is a thing unlike sport where in a lot of things like there's there's a, a a ladder in in a lot of careers if you want to be a doctor you can pass the exam you can go to college and you can achieve the exams you know but yeah. if you want to be a successful musician there is there's not that thing it, it you can write the greatest songs. You could be the greatest singer. You could be the greatest and it can guitar get ignored. player, and have nobody give a damn about what you're doing. That's very true. Yeah. So it's a, such an odd. And so, how have you carried on when you? you uh, uh, I don't. You know, haven't gotten yeah. the sort of yeah, the sort of. Uh, I don't even want to say you're due because, in a way, you're you're very successful. I mean, yeah, I know what you, you mean. You, yeah, yeah. I you're, would you're, wish I was. I wish I was way, way more successful. And, and 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 this is a weird thing to say, but I think when I listen to your songs, you obviously deserve to be. Well, thanks. Yeah, but you know, but like, uh, yeah, and this is also it's all this real sensitive thing we're on because you are very successful, and there's like ninety nine percent of the people would kill to be in the position you're in. Yeah. yeah. But you could still be like Bruce Springsteen level yeah. or like that's the kind of, you know, you're on that kind of well, songwriting quality wise. You write songs that are really in those higher dom domains. Well, thank you. You know, and so how have you weathered through your own disappointments or whatever and kept going? Well, I, that's a great question. And I think it's, uh, it's simply because along the way I've had various high points you know, I had a record deal on Stiff Records when I was in my. What What is Stiff Records? Stiff Records is a punk label yeah. in a, in in London. And this was when you were young, yeah. right? Yeah. Elvis Costello was, was young, on there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Younger. <laughs> yeah. It was a great punk. Uh, the Pogues <coughs> right. were on there. Famous, yeah, Stiff, yeah. Um, Elvis Costello. Great and songwriters. That were you more punk back in the day? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it was, okay. I was very political back in the, in the day. I all still my song, are. Uh, you know, back then I was everything was I was like an agit socialist back then too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. And I, all my songs were very left wing, and they were all socialist songs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a record deal on Stiff Records, and and then I had another record deal on Polydor Records and a publishing deal, and 
And that went for a while. That kept me going. Yeah, you've had enough success along the way, enough things that kept enough you Enough validation, yeah. let's say. Never any money and never any real success, mm-hmm. but definitely kind of validation, if you like, of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Then I've had some a lot of dark times. A lot, a lot, you know, I worked in this bar in London for many years. Which one? It's called the Arsenal Tavern. Okay. And it was a rough Irish pub, and I played there every weekend for like 12 years. Job culture? No, I would say it was working class, violent alcoholism, you know. Did you get into fights? Uh, yeah. Nice. There was always fights. Have you been hit in the face? Not for a while. But what? <laughs> I have recently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were, there, there, I'm pretty good at getting into the fight, and I'm pretty good at getting out of it, you know, stopping the escalating. Mm-hmm. But this pub was extremely violent. And what I mean by that is that there were always fights. And I mean, every night there was fights. That was kind of the probably the deal. Like, people wanted to get drunk and then, like, get out their aggression. For sure. I mean, sure. I've noticed that. Because I lived in London for a year back in the 90s and toured through there a lot. And the only time I ever got, like, yeah. physically assaulted just walking down the street was in the UK. Really? Yeah, yeah. Just, like, hit. Fuck it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. What, just somebody come up to you and punch uh-huh. you? Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, but terrible. I have one of those faces, to be fair. You do? I mean, yeah. I'd like, I'm looking at you now. I'd love to <laughs> knock the... F- I know. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> you kick the shit out of me. I know that. <laughs> well, I would because I'm a boxer, James. Yeah, that's right. I train for it. That's right. I'm not going to... I'm not going <laughs> to... Don't do it. I'm not going to get in the ring. Don't do <laughs> it. Don't do it. If I was going to hit you, I'd, do, I'd king hit you. You know what that is? No. Let's wait till you turn, look the other way. Yeah. And I'd hit you from behind. Yeah, yeah. But why do you think that is? Why do you think the culture there is like sort of aggressive, like in that way? Versus like in America, it's not, but maybe that's because people are assuming other people have guns here. And so like it could get more there. Maybe it's less escalatable or something, if that's a word. I really don't know. I lived in a, a village in in in, County, in, Le- in Leicester. And it, there were there were times when... There's a kind of inter-village rivalry, you know, like if you come from the next village that you were a target, mm-hmm. or you could become a target. Mm. And, and so there's that kind of tribalism, but how that related to the bar that I was in, it was very working class, you know, people are heavily drinking, they're dissatisfied, they're alienated, they're angry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that manifests itself in, in violence. Right. Against each other, against, you know, their women. Yeah. Against anybody, you know. It just is a drinking culture. And it was... It wasn't... T- I mean, I'm not saying there was... It wasn't animalistic, but there was a lot of violence, you know. It was... Yeah. It, it was It was an atmosphere of... It was good times as well. We had a lovely time. But the, there was always fights. Yeah. What you and when was this in the eighties or? Yeah, this would have how, been. How many years were you doing this? Oh god, well I've done it all my life in, in a lot of ways. You Off know, and but, on, Bar- yeah. bartending. Not bar. I was playing in a band. Oh okay. Oh, you were working in, yeah. in the pub. Like, yeah. I was oh, okay. Playing at the weekends. I see. I don't know. It was like 12, 10, 10, 12 years. I did it. Yeah. I've done it all my life in one way or another. Yeah, the me covers too. Thing. Yeah. Oh, the covers. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I was in a blues band when I was in high school. Lovely. Five nights a week in Cleveland, like working class, 
called Frankie Star and Chill Factor. I played bass. Brilliant. Yeah, I was making 50 bucks a night, which is like crazy amounts of That's money. fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome. I yeah. should have never quit. <laughs> I swear to God. I wish I could be in a blues band. I, I was oh, in a, a covers band doing like, you know, whatever. You know, Bad Moon Rising, you know. Mm -hmm. We did everything that we could just keep people dancing you know did that teach you how to be a better songwriter yeah how so well i always we never rehearsed right so any song that we played would have to be easy to learn so i'd have to show it to the guys really quick mm -hmm. and i thought that was a, a a way of writing songs as well that that if you could write a song i'd notice with a lot of amateur Amateur. I know it's with a lot of songwriters. They'll always put an extra bar in here on an extra half bar here. And the, the first verse will be different to the second verse by the tiniest amount. And, and you know what I mean? It, the, the arrangements would be quite convoluted. But as you listen to like great songwriters, like what I consider great, whether it's the Beatles or the Stones or Tom Petty or Creedence Clearwater, the songs are very simple. They don't deviate from. They've got. They've not got a lot of fat on them. They're mm -hmm. very. They're very direct. And I always try and write direct. You know, I have a verse. This is this long, and then the, the pre-chorus and the chorus. Then I repeat that, and then I'll go to somewhere else for the bridge. So there's a. The roadmap's pretty easy to learn. Right. So I, when I do write a song, I do think about s songs in terms of could a bar band learn my song in like five minutes right and i like to think that they could yeah so that definitely informs how i write uh -huh. actually still to this day but yeah i'll go off that a little bit sometimes and write things that are a bit more complex but i tend to try to keep things really um really simplistic yeah that's kind of my style at the moment and it has yeah. been for since since i was you know uh, 30 33 years old before then i wrote i would have these weird odd bar measures i make things a little bit more overcomplicated, thinking it made the song better but it never did yeah do you know what i mean yeah your lyrics are i wouldn't say complicated but very relatable to complicated areas of the human condition okay you know what i mean within a simple song and, thanks but like you're you're putting in i'd say complicated sure uh places that, that are that you can identify it's like the, the experience of listening to your songs is like going like oh yeah right on yeah well thanks yeah I, I who do are your favorite lyrics my lyricists. favorite lyricists yeah or what were you about to say i had to cut you off no i think you know i was thinking about this i think my favorite lyricist is uh mick jagger oh my god i'm glad you un, most underrated uh, i think most underrated songwriter almost kind ever of. Because uh, obviously everybody loves the Rolling Stones and thinks that they're great, but you never hear Mick Jagger get talked about as like better than probably Bob Dylan. Which, yeah. if you look at like, yeah. uh, you know, as good as yeah, I'm mean, sure. songwriter and, and Keith always gets all the credit. He does. <laughs> I think like Mick Jagger, the vibe is like, oh, he's the business guy, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah. like that guy wrote like, yeah. Like uh, yeah, Paint what It Black, he? Beast of Burden. I mean, the lyrics on those. Paint are, It Black. Yeah, you know, I don't, you don't know where do you start? Every, too. You sympathy for the devil. The sympathy for the devil. I mean, the lyrics are so brilliant that they almost so wash over you. You yeah. don't think about them. Exactly, they're not show-offy in some way. They're like also like they have a. They're colorful. They invite you in. They're colorful. They paint pictures in your mind. Mm -hmm. They feel like they were always written. Yeah. 
it could never have been in anything else. Right. And I was thinking, how does he come up with these ideas? I think it's his words. And I am basically assuming he is the lyricist with the with the Keith and Mick I'm stuff. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he is, right? I think he wrote all of Some Girls, too. That was the story there. Really? Yeah. Yeah, like Keith was down and out in Beverly Hills, <laughs> I guess. Because those are like the whole record's two chords. Yeah. So it was like, yeah. you know, it's like... Yeah. That's what I heard. I don't know if it's Have true. Have you seen the, um, there's a great thing on Netflix uh, oh, yeah. in Cuba, right? They go to Cuba to do the, the Stones South America tour. Have I thought you were that? talking about, uh, there was one I saw. I can't remember what it was called. There's a new one on Netflix. Oh, a new one. It's kind of like their last uh, tour. When oh, they I haven't around. seen that. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, okay. Incredible. So he's one of your faves. He's one of my favorites. Bob Dylan, of Bob course. Bob Dylan. Is I can hear that. The greatest. Yeah, and then I have a lot of things, and you know, I love like um, I'm a big fan of like Paul Brady. Who's you know? that? He's an Irish singer-songwriter from the '80s and '90s. I love Steve Forbert. Mm -hmm. You know, I like love his singer-songwriting. Uh, who else do I love? John Martin. Do you know John Martin? Yeah, of course. Uh, solid Air. So, yeah, solid do you like Air? that? That's yeah, yeah. He was like one of the first uh, sort of... Nick, he was with that Nick Drake kind of acoustic. Kind of. Well, he had that amazing uh, yeah. echoplex thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that right? Oh, boy. Have you ever heard that stuff he does? I don't know. Is it like looping and stuff yeah. like that? Oh, okay. He was the first guy... That, you know, people doing I the I thought I was now. the first guy. <laughs> you might have been. Uh, no, not if John Martin did <laughs> this it was first. in 72. Yeah, so I was, I was born in 71, so, you know. I mean, you'd have had to be really young to be Very, I would it. have had to be like, ha like not even six months old to beat John Martin. <laughs> I was not looping at six months. <laughs> That'll be something to see. John Martin was, uh, there's stuff on the internet of him playing gigs in the early 70s, and he has this setup. He's on acoustic guitar with a pickup in it, and it goes through an echoplex, and he has a drum machine, huh. a very primitive drum machine, and it's all linked I gotta up. i check that out. Oh. Is it on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, Small Hours is the one of the classic tracks. It's, well, to me, it's very much like, uh, it's very much like um, The Edge did, like, 20 years later. Mm-hmm. But ten years later, really, yeah. those those rhythmic things going with like the rhythm of the song, eighth or, note triplet delay kind of stuff. Well, John Martin was doing that in you know in the early seventies to great effect with yeah. amazing songs and an ama you know an amazing singer, and he was definitely one of my heroes. Did you get to John meet Martin. him ever? I did meet him. Yeah, I did a gig with him. I actually remember standing what on his shoulders like? in the swimming like? pool. Huh? Oh, really? Yeah. Playing chicken? Yeah. Really? How did that happen? <laughs> we were in Sicily. We did a tour in Sicily, and he was the headline act, and then we were all staying at the same hotel. And uh, we were all in the swimming pool together. <laughs> we were banned, and he was a band, and we all just got, I don't know, we started fighting. <laughs> what year was this? Oh. Like real fighting or fake fighting? No, you know, getting on each other's shoulders and, oh, okay. and play fighting, you know. I reckon, what year would it have been? I'm guessing it would have been... Early, uh, I guess in 84, wow. 85, something like this. Did he like your songs? I don't know. I don't think he ever paid any attention to me. Yeah. He was a terrible drunk. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> and the next time I saw him, and actually. He was angry. I saw him about 10, 15, 15 years what... later. I opened for Paul Weller in there. Uh, I was playing with Paul Weller in uh, Dublin. And uh, John, Martin and Paul were good friends. And... Uh, John Martin came on stage and sang a 
a song. By that time, he'd lost his leg. He had yeah. he lost his leg. Diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. He's in a bad way, and he was really big. Mm-hmm. But you know, John Martin for me is one of the great greatest artists ever. ever. Um, yeah. Huge. Uh, admiration what are the yeah. top albums of John Martin well I think Solid Air is is incredible yeah that's my favourite John Martin album and my dad bought that record back I remember my dad bought that home one day yeah and I put it on and then I was like what is this his sound is so his voice is so like slurry too though. slurry and slurry because of the drunkenness I think no I don't no? think so oh I just always thought that's why I think that's just how he sounded oh okay Peter Gabriel's who turned me on to him. Did he? Shout out Peter Gabriel. Name drop. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I was on it because I started out on his label. That's great. And so he was like, you should check out John Martin. Is that right? Yeah, he was a big fan of John Martin. When you know, you know. You know, yeah. John Martin's one of those guys that definitely, once you become a, in, when you hear him, you're like, wow, this is pretty impressive. Yeah. So I love John. Yeah, I don't know that he was angry. I don't know that why I said that, but I think I just read an interview where he was like real angry one time. I didn't know he was angry. And he and that was post like after he lost his leg or something like that. And I'd be angry if I lost my. Me leg. Me too. I'd be pissed off about that. Wake up one day and it's gone. Yeah, that happened to Ella Fitzgerald as well. I remember seeing really a, from diabetes. Yeah, I remember seeing a headline: Ella loses legs. Yeah, I've knocked out the sugars recently good stopped with those the carbs and all that have you yeah i mean you look great ketosis i'd love to do that yeah it's interesting well there's all kinds of inform thank you and there's all kinds of information on youtube about about diet and all that and so i've been getting way into that's it that's great man <clears throat> it's it takes a bit of discipline but yeah it's cool it's like uh you know you you live long enough you might as well try different things get bored of the same thing i was just eating pasta and carbs all the time and i was like finally i was like you know what i'm gonna try something else because this is like i know this is bad even though i enjoy it you know what did you do you just cut out cut out carbs just cut out carbs and go with and go with a more like you know get into something called ketosis which is like where your body starts burning fat instead of instead of uh uh sugars for your energy and so it's uh, there's all kinds of information on YouTube about it. There's this like snake juice diet guy who like he screams at people like "Hey, fatty!" and like you know encourages people to like fast one day a week and this kind of That's thing. Good. And, yeah, it's kind of cool. That's great, man. I'm yeah. totally down with that. I, yeah, we are what we eat, and I think we the diet that we have is not designed for health. No, well, there's all kinds of problems, I guess, when you start researching it. Like, oh, even like with fruits and vegetables yeah. and all the pesticides and that. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a grind, this planet we're on. So, Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I read somewhere that, you know, if, you, if, if, if we did become a vegan uh, economy, you know, a vegan eat, then the world would benefit from it. You know, the amount of waste that the meat production is for the world is... It's very un- un- it's a very uneconomical way to produce food. Yeah. Meat is obviously we eat far too much of it. Right. And I can see in a sane society, yeah, the diet that we have would be much more geared towards health. I mean, you can see that there's three. I read this. I saw this guy on the television once. He said there are three main things about food yeah. that will do you good. <clears throat> eat mainly of plant plants. Mm-hmm. Don't eat too much, and don't eat anything advertised. Yeah. 
And I think what he means by that is processed food and, yeah, and, processed and food. shit like that. But eat mainly yeah. plants, don't eat too much. But you know, with the, the diet that we that you get in a, in the modern world, man, it, it's tough. I mean, it, you see them adverts for beef, but for hamburgers, they're like this. Yeah, <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. Why would anybody want to eat that thing? Is yeah, that I don't. I don't like. There's all kinds of controversy on veganism and everything like that, and I don't really know where where I stand with that. I'm I'm not being a vegan at the moment. I've tried. I'm not it. a vegan either. Yeah, um, it's too much effort. I haven't got just haven't got the energy for well, it. Well, I don't know that it's sustainable. Like over the course of a long a I'm long term. I mean, I know vegans would go like, "You're wrong," and and I know, and I don't want to like cue up yeah, outrage you will <laughs> i know i like i'm just like, well, like you've really you know, like, like, the door now. i know i like uh but um <laughs> yeah one thing i do one thing i can say with like a lot of confidence is that a regular like you know 24 hours to 48 hours of fasting is a really good idea is that right Be- yeah because what you want to do is kick off something called autophagy and what autophagy is, is like, the, you, you know, you're, you're constantly like what it does is if you fast, your body like f- starts producing a ton of stem cells and also your old cells start getting eaten by your healthier new cells. And so it fights things like cancer. It increases longevity and stuff like that. So I'm very confident that no matter where you stand on the spectrum of veganism versus yeah. uh, non-veganism, yeah. uh, yeah regular fasting and not and you don't have to do heroic fast you don't have to be like i'm fasting for a week but what it has to be is it has to be kind of a water fast it can't be like lemonade diet like because that's you're just pouring sugar back in and you're pouring calories back just water just water because what you want to do is you want to kick off ketosis and you want to kick off uh autophagy which is like your body will start eating the old cells if you just give it water. And you really can feel that that's a very healthy thing. And I think that's a, like, that's a pretty like... Like 24 hours of that old... Even that, like, yeah, just even like if you did that like once every other week or like 24-hour fast, 48-hour fast, um, you're going to like, you're going to really, really have a lot of benefits from that. And it's not, and it is, it's hard. It's not like that easy. It's, uh, it kind of sucks. The way I look at it is like, okay, this ain't going to be the funnest day, of course, but it's going to be a day that gives me more days. So it's almost like a, I feel like a cheat code for the matrix. It's almost like, yeah, you're not going to have the best day on your fast day. And actually that's not even true. Once you start getting into it, it's kind of fun in this weird way. But like at first, just to, if you, if you're not a faster, to, it's a good way to think of it is like you're giving yourself more time ultimately. So it's almost like you're giving yourself a free day. But wouldn't you rather have like more, see, this is another thing, uh, this idea of longevity. Why, I'd rather like have fun now than live for like, you know, another few years as an old decrepit old dude, you know. It depends on what your idea of fun is. Because I feel like it's super fun taking really good care of yourself and like feeling really good in the now here, in the here and now. Like even if like God forbid, yeah. like I left the planet tomorrow, I wouldn't regret the fact that I've been taking really good care of myself as of late. I, I wouldn't be that. like, oh, that was a rip off. I wish I was like fucking doing I blow and like <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know, because <laughs> like actually doing all that shit actually hurts. Like it's like yeah, to true. me, like that's no fun. Like it, you, that that shit used to seem fun to me. Now that just shit seems like hell on earth to me. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm like, not saying you have to go. You have but, to go out and start. Then again, doing... I'm like this guy. 
Like this guy would tell me something different. Like, but I want to. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm getting this point over. But the idea that you can, you can have a lot of fun while you're not young but healthy, right? Yeah. In or or you deny yourself all these kind of things in order to live from the age of say eighty five to eighty seven. I mean. You know, it's about, but it's about feeling good in the moment. I'm feeling good. Oh, right on. Okay, I get in, it. In this moment, you feel great now. I hear you. I feel great in this That's moment. True. You know, but I feel good too. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and I have not been fasting, but I would totally understand that fast. I did the fasting for like a week once, and I was. Uh, That's a long one, though. Yeah, it was long. That hurts. I'm talking about like you know, yeah, not heroic. Just like a, a, Just like a, a day. little twenty-four hour. Oh, I like, love that. Oh, let me give me give myself a little break. Drink some water. I totally down. You know, with that. And then here's the other thing too, is. Like if you just eat and drink every day, you kind of like you start. You just can't help but take it for granted. Like I did recently, just did a twenty-four hour dry fast, which is no food, no water, no nothing, and you and that apparently is like really, really good for you. Like for some weird reason, I know it seems weird, but I'll tell you what: you you drink a glass of water at after twenty-four hours of not doing it. All of a sudden, a glass of water seems like a three thousand dollar bottle of champagne. Yeah, and so it's almost like then you—it's like you reset your like. Totally, I get that. Your, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like uh, if you want to, so it's kind of like you recalibrate. So all of a sudden, yeah. a glass of water is like this super fun thing. You, yeah, you can turn. So you don't need like the three thousand dollar bottle of champagne and a and a bump. Yeah. All of a sudden, a glass of water is that same thing. Yeah, yeah great. I yeah. totally understand. Yeah. And I also think that it's idea... It's like tricking the matrix. But I also think by denying your body calories, and then it starts to... You Autophagy. Know, yeah, that makes perfect sense it's to me. It would yeah. be a great, great thing to, for everybody to do. We should make it compulsory. Yeah, I'm trying... Well, you know, this podcast is... is we're advertising it. <laughs> Are you listening now, Hoodie? Can you do it? Yeah. He can't, I've, he, I've done it. He can't last time, five minutes without a blooming sandwich. The, the one time I did an extreme <laughs> fast was with you. Really? It wasn't a fast. We did the juice cleanse like nine years ago. Wow. I was, time for a new I was, one. I was on board with Joe, and he's like, let's do it. And after the, the second day, it was just like easy. I was yeah. going to the gym and not. Really? Eating. Yeah, yeah. It's and, weird. And, 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 it and kicks you into other after things. after a week and I kept going. Oh, yeah. I remember it was that. Just like, it was just like. I do know, remember you that. You drink a little bit of the maple, the cayenne, yeah. the lemon. Yeah, but I'm and, against and went, that one now, no, though. Well, but, but. And, and I stopped drinking coffee because of that. Oh. For no particular and yeah, you still haven't. And I still I drink coffee like crazy. I never went back to coffee just because I know yeah. I can do it. Not because I'm not. What's wrong with it. coffee? I, nothing. I love. I it, love coffee. I I'm into coffee. I have one a day. I saw on the internet you can have up to twenty-five a day. I thought that's that's a lot. Of that's about how many I have a day. Really? I mean, it's a lot. I'm. Yeah, that's my, not, wow. The, the local coffee shop, there's the, the Joe, which okay. is the Quatch. I do sleep okay. I had some really weird cosmic, really weird <laughs> dreams last night. I had these dreams. Sorry I touched your leg. Was yeah, a little, back off, man. A little man. bit much. Back off. <laughs> no, but uh, I had this crazy dream where I was in this wild house and somebody was coming and over and then I like ran upstairs, but I couldn't get up the stairs and... Then I woke up, and then I went back to sleep, and then the next dream, I was explaining the dream I had before to the new dream. Wow. That's isn't good. That, isn't that weird? That's good. Yeah. I, I, I can generally remember my dreams, but then I forget them you know, an hour or two later. Yeah. So I, I can't remember my last dream. But I love a, I love a good dream. 
I tend to dream in the morning. You know, if I wake yeah. up, then go back to sleep, then I'll have a vivid dream. I often dream about my teeth falling out. That's I've got had those. Those are stress. Is it stress? Stress dreams. So here's another one of my theories, that dreams yeah. don't mean anything. Like, they're not actually manifestations of your subconscious. And I say that because... You're just trying to be controversial. My dreams are so <laughs> random and have no meaning at all. They're completely crazy. They don't have any meaning. You can ascribe meaning to them. But what about like... Uh, I don't think there's any meaning in dreams. What about your songs? Do your songs come from your subconscious? Your lyrics? I don't like, know. Where do you get those great lines from? Uh, I generally wait around for them to kind of come into my mind, or I'll. Be, Where do they come from? I might write. I might get it like a, I'm always thinking of lyrics. So I'll, if I if I come up, I conjure up a phrase while I'm out, say watching a band or in mm -hmm. the street, I'll write it in my phone. Yeah. And I'll maybe go back to it and say, oh, I like that sentence. Yeah. I like that phrase. I will try and incorporate that into a song, or maybe that's a title of a song, or maybe that's a. You know, a, a, a lyric can really uh, direct, one line can really direct the, the, the trajectory of the whole song, can't it? Mm -hmm. It can give you the, the germ of the idea and you can go forward with just with one phrase. Yeah. I don't know where they come from. They just, they just come <laughs> to me. Subconscious, no? Yes, probably, I yeah. guess. But you might say something and I might go, oh, that's a really interesting phrase. Yeah. So it's a bit of both. Bit of both, yeah. Do you do the lyrics first, the music second? I generally do the music first, mm -hmm. and it, and if the and I while I'm mumbling away, a lyric might come to me, mm -hmm. and I might try and stick with it. I like the. Uh, you do both kinds though. Sometimes yeah. from lyrics first. Very, I write both ways. Yeah, very. Usually rarely. the way you're saying though, music first. Usually music first, yeah. and then I'm looking for a phrase, an idea, mm -hmm. and then I will. I can. I can spend years. 10 15 years trying to write a lyric right you know some some lyrics really like, yeah some tunes i've had around for 15 20 years that long and i won't be happy and then i, I i'm look yeah really how do you how do you organize them i mean where do how many do you have like say on your hard drive or wherever you uh, No, they're kind of in my mind and how many do you have Right now, say for instance. You mean from the past that I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, just like in your deck of songs. Do you have like a hundred? No. Uh, right now, uh, do you mean t in terms of tunes that I, I've had for a number of years that I'm trying to finish? Yeah, or just even if you've had them. Like, yeah, just Maybe total. 10, 15. Really? That I've got like. And you, you like, kind of know. I like elements of them. Huh. But they haven't found a home yet, you know. Right. In terms of in, in the song. Yeah. But I definitely got, like, there's a song on my uh, new album called uh, uh, Music in the Stars. And uh, I had that melody around for, phew, I've had that melody for the chorus melody. I have had that around for maybe 30 years. Right on. And I never, I never had a, 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 I had a lyric, but I didn't like the lyric and it never really lived with me. And then I decided, I looked into it again a few months ago and came up with this notion, Music in the Stars, and... Uh, stuck it and it worked, you know. So I've got little tunes like that kind of percolating all the time in my brain. When's the new album? When's uh, how how uh, far are you into this new album? Well, that was my last one. It right. came out in August. Oh, okay. I'm uh, work. Uh, I mean, my new album, which I'm kind of writing now. Yeah. I've got maybe I've actually got like six songs, six six or seven songs. You have a title for it yet? No. 
I like, do you know Judy Sill? No, I don't think so, maybe, but... I want to make it a little bit like a Judy Sill album. A, a little bit. What's she like? Judy Sill, a songwriter... Is she contemporary, like... No, current? she died in oh, okay. 79. Oh. She was the first um, woman signed to uh, Geffen Records mm -hmm. uh, in the 70s, early 70s, and she put out two albums, and... Uh, Matt Beck hit me to her. Do you know Matt Beck, the guitar player? He hit me to her. And I am like about a couple of years, a year ago, and I w couldn't believe it. You know, I listened to her records, and she is incredible. Incredible, Judy Sill, huh? S-I-double-L. S-I-double-L. I mean, she's one of those artists that got a little bit lost because she died, and people like Joni Mitchell and uh, Linda Ronstadt. Overshadowed. Carol King overshadowed her a little bit. She was junky, and she had a tough life. She was like a bank robber. Wow, she robbed the bank. She robbed banks. She robbed. She robbed multiple stores. banks. Shit like that. Multiple she, banks. I don't know. She robbed banks and shops. More, more than one bank. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Just robbing. Oh, yeah. You can come through. But she uh, wrote this song called "The Kiss." which I recommend people dig out. Anyway, she's got this thing, this sound, and I'm going to try to kind of copy it a little bit. Uh-huh, what's that? It's kind of a choral... A chor she calls her music... I think she calls it Christian... Gothic... Something or other. It's, it's a strange... So she's Christian? Yeah, she's like, like a Christian... Christian... Thing. Does do do the songs reference Jesus? Yeah, oh yeah. Stuff? Oh okay. I gotta check this big out. Big time. Big time. Yeah, they're all about Jesus. Really, well, somewhat. They're all about the. I write about the, Jesus a the lot. The religious. Right. Right yeah, on. It comes out. Well, I've had it. I don't know. Have a listen to Judy. Just does. I'm going to. Yeah. J U D E E. Okay. She only did two albums. Okay. Heart food. Heart food. Is one of them. Interesting. And she double tracks her voice. Yeah, I do that a lot too. And it creates this ethereal beauteous sound and she is an incredible guitar player do you ever do that double track your voice you don't really yeah. do you i do do it sometimes you do okay. i like it yeah i like what it does do it a lot on this new one do you it's a totally different sound john, you know when john you, lennon did that a lot. john too. did it a lot yeah he, you know so i love it too you do it you like the sound of your voice double i do yeah i do too i always feel like lately i try to challenge myself not to do it because i feel like it's coming from insecurity but no it's a sound it is a sound yeah it's a vibe yeah yeah who are some of your favorite contemporary songwriters well you know what i don't really have any that i can think of right i think songwriting is you know modern songwriting doesn't appeal to me somehow hmm. i hate modern country music hmm. i hate modern pop music right I'm sure there are great guys out there, but I, I tend to... I'm a Louis Armstrong freak. Right. So I, I'm listening to old stuff. I'm listening to, you know, Judy Sill or Louis Armstrong or uh, Van Morrison. You know, I kind of go back. I don't really go forward. Hmm. I don't really listen to any. Who are yours? Who do you like? Well, I've been writing with this guy named Grandma who I like a lot. His, he's about to put out his first album. And uh, I, like, I, li I like a lot of n new trap stuff and like 
I don't know. I, li- I like a lot of the new modern music, you. you know? Yeah, I wish I was a bit more open to it. Yeah. I just don't really do it, you know? I don't really... If I looked at, if I looked at the last 10 records I kind of bought on iTunes... I actually bought the new Gar- the Gary Newman record. Do you know Gary Newman? Yeah, sure. I was watching that documentary of his on Netflix. I thought, what a great guy he is and what a great music he, he did in, in that time. Still plays. And his new album, which I downloaded, I've not heard it yet. It's supposed to be fantastic. Mm. And I'm not really into that electronic music. It's oh, not, not my thing. Yeah. But I'm open to it. I was listening to last night to... Uh, I heard uh, that Donna Summer song there. Uh, Fallen tree, fallen tree, I feel love. Do you know that song? Love. The first, the first hip, first techno hit song. Do you know? You don't know it. I feel love. Jerry Moroder or someone like that did it on a synth. It's incredible. What about like Jason Isbell? Have you ever heard him? I had a bit of him. Yeah, I think he's okay. I think it's okay. I just don't buy it. I'm not buying it. My heroes are, are uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah. You know, my, my songwriting heroes are Bob Dylan and, you know, great songs. I don't think Jason Isabel was, re- you know, I don't really, I've heard his songs. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, me too. I haven't heard that many of them, but the ones I've heard, I thought, wow, that's really good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I like your songs. Like when I'm listening to your <laughs> thing, I'm like, damn, this dude's really good. <laughs> Maybe I'm a soft touch. <laughs> I think I'm a soft touch. I like a lot of hip hop too. Do you listen to hip hop? No, but I, I I can dig it. You ever listen to Gangstar? Oh, I love them. Yeah, full clip. Yeah, no, I, I, to I that like all it. the time. I, I like I like hip hop when I hear it. If I, some of it, you know, I'm, I'm down with it. But you sti- I love that song. You stick to your old here, like the the older. I'm not gonna say the older crowd, but the older singer songwriters. Like you still go out with Willie Nile. Yeah, Willie Nile. Um, oh yeah, I love. I mean, if the same I love thing Willie. With, Willie's with Garland great. and Brian Mitchell is hanging out with you, and yeah. you have a lot of. Uh, yeah, these are my kind of my friends, and I admire these people immensely in in the city. Brian, the piano player from the Levon Helm band, you know. Him? Oh okay. And obviously Willie being a great friend of mine and great songwriter, a great songwriter, and a guy that just keeps shout out, out Willie now. Willie now, we got to get him up in here. Get him in, mate. He's he greatest. was in my first ever podcast pre pre uh, pre my all star co host Ahud, which is why Willie, yeah, Ahud or uh, Willie now came to my old place in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and uh, we we, we sat. Willie. Yeah, everybody loves Willie. How, how did you hook up with Willie? You know, um, good question. I actually met Willie. In the 11th Street Bar. Oh, right, there, right around the corner. Right around the corner, one Tuesday night about five, six years ago. And uh, I knew him a little bit, but didn't know him. And then he, I played a few songs, and he was very nice to me. And then uh, he played a couple of songs, and we, I thought, oh, I love this. And then we did the uh, Light of Day together as well. That was another, we went around Europe with the Light of Day, and I got to know him. What's the Light of Day? That's the Parkinson's charity thing that, that comes out of Asbury Park. Okay. It's like a, an event that they do every year in Asbury. It's to raise money for Parkinson's. Bruce, Bruce what about Bruce's new stuff? Have you heard that? Yeah, I've heard three songs. Uh-huh. I don't like it. You don't. I covered. I already covered the <laughs> first one. What's it called? Helen, I like it. Is Hella, yeah. I appreciate your uh, candor. It's awesome. the Western. Well, I've only heard three songs. I loved "Hello Sunshine." Is that the okay? That's a I, great one. I thought that sounded too much like um, "Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues." Do you know that song? No. "Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues." 
it's like got that. that thing to it. It just sounds to me like a, like that. Mm. And, the, and then I heard two more off the record, which I really didn't like. The record could be, it, it sounds incredible, and I'm a Bruce fan. I love Bruce Springsteen. Did you see his Broadway music? No, I couldn't afford five hundred fucking dollars. Uh-huh. Did you watch it on Netflix? No, not yet. Yeah, I went to it. I, I got it. it great? I, yeah, somebody got me in, and it, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I'm not really interested in him as as a, a you know hearing about him moaning about his family and his life and everything. Right. But I love him as a as a sing. You know, I've seen him playing. It, it's some of the greatest musical experience you can ever have on yeah, earth. Yeah, he's kind of more celebrity. celebrating. I feel like he's I feel like when people are moaning about their family in some ways it's like they're celebrating their family. Yeah, maybe he is celebrating. You know, like I took it as a celebration Okay, of, well of I his, haven't seen it so Yeah, uh, of his past. I mean, but there's definitely, you know, dark aspects to the story. I, I also thought $500 Oh yeah, a, that's that's crazy. It's a ridiculous amount of money. That's a lot. For yeah. a guy that's already got a billion dollars in it the bank. Was higher than the highest were eight hundred. Yeah. Yeah. But did you work with Bruce? You know, I, no, I didn't work with him. But I did get this. I did get this. Um, I heard that he was using some of my music in the walk-in music. You know what he plays um, when people are going to his concerts. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, wrote him an email. I got his office. Mm-hmm. I wrote an email. Said, "Listen, Bruce, James Maddock here." Um, I'm so honoured and thrilled you're using my music. I'm a lifelong fan, and I am. I adore him. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a few months later, I get this email. Mm-hmm. What's your address? Bruce wants to send you something. Mm-hmm. I give him my address. And I get this card in the post from him mm. saying, you know, hey, James, really like the, the Wood album. And there's a song on there called Stay You. And he said that should have been a big hit mm-hmm. in it. A few other things, and he said, "If you're ever um, in New York, come back and say, come and say hello." Mm-hmm. So, one thing led anyway. One thing led to another, and eventually, I got backstage, mm. and I'll I'll never forget. He opened the door, and I'm standing in the hallway like this on my own. The bloke said, "Wait for me here. Wait here, and Bruce will come and get you." And the door opens, and Bruce thinks he stuck his head out and went, "Hey, James, come in." <laughs> Like, yeah, okay. So I walked into this little room, like this dressing room. I can't remember where it was, giant stadium or something. And, uh, you know, I went into the room and just me and him. And we had a little chat for like five or ten minutes about one thing or the other. And then his wife come in and said, Bruce, you got to come and, you know, we've got to, you've got to come and everybody's in here. Then there was another room. Mm. And I went into the other room and there was a lot of people in there, you know, maybe 25, 30 other people. So he, he gave me at least, you know, five or 10 minutes of his time. Yeah. I had a nice chat with him. He's awesome. He's cool. Right. So I did a tribute with uh, at Carnegie Hall with, right and I sang Born in the USA. And he was there. Was he? And then he wanted to talk to me. So I went backstage and, <gasps> and uh, he was like, that was a brave choice. Yeah. And you did a really good job. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was cool. You know, Bruce Springsteen, if, if you love, if you go and see a Bruce gig, I've seen about maybe six, maybe seven. Oh, it's all about that for me. What's your top three songwriters? My top three songwriters? Yeah. Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
else would I like? Would I put up? Well, I, I mean, I've got so many. I like Randy Newman. I like Tom Waits. I like Neil Young. I like Bruce. It's a bunch of Bruce mm-hmm. songs. I could pick ten Bruce Bruce songs and that I love. And uh, who else do I love? I mean, Carol King. That period of Carol King's songwriting is extraordinary. I like. So many things, you know. I'm thinking of that Kate and Anna McGarrigal album that they put out in the 70s, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. Van Morrison, mm. you know, people like that. I haven't got really on any unexpected, or I might have, but I can't think of them right now. You mentioned Bruce like the Wood album, he did. Whatever happened to Wood was the band, right? Yeah, that was the band that I had in England, and we got signed to Columbia Records. Uh, you know, we didn't have a hit record. So we got dropped in the end. Just one album? I did do a second one, but it was terrible. And uh, I hated it. Did they put it out? No, thank God. And I told them actually not to put it out. Wow. I just didn't like it at all. It was a horrible thing. So what's up with Japanese denim? (laughs) You want to go Japanese denim or Paul McCartney's story? Oh, let's talk about Paul McCartney's story. Okay, let's do that. The phone guy, I'm in my house. Little in London, about 86. The phone went and it was Paul McCartney's manager. And he knew me because he used to be the MD at Polydor Records mm-hmm. where I was signed. And he asked me, would I like to go and go up to Scotland and work with Paul McCartney as a guitar player? Wow. Right? Uh, How did that come to be? Are you are you like a great guitar player? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're really good at it? Yeah. He is. I didn't know that. I've, I always see him only on acoustic. Yeah. And then I saw you at Light you of can, Day. You can burn. Light of Day in January, he had an electric. I was like, what's James doing on an electric? And he was ripping it. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wow. <laughs> I'm actually, I consider myself almost more a guitar player than a songwriter. Oh, okay. But I do play electric guitar i just don't play it in my thing because i'm strumming up and down all the time mm-hmm. anyway i was a pretty hot guitarist and there and anyway he asked me to go up and do to play with paul mccartney and i said no i can't do it i'm too busy <laughs> which i was are you serious yeah why'd you why, why wouldn't you just drop everything and go play with paul mccartney i ask myself that every day what the hell dude <laughs> I mean, that's like the uni- that's like the universe calling, saying, "Hey, James, we're ready for your dreams to come true now." Nah, and you were like, "Nah, no thanks." Yeah, right. I'm a socialist. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go. I was. Oh my god. Let me struggle for another. Let me years. struggle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so you said no. Yeah, I said and no. That's the end of the story. Yeah. Wow. I turned down Paul James, McCartney. We're gonna do a life purpose card right now, okay, based off of that story. Let's see what. Let's do it. Do helium we do helium or no helium? No, what's helium? I mean, the drug. It's the gas. It's hell no. A, okay, I, I, I'm feeling no helium with James. That's fine. That's fine. You don't always have to do. helium. You can do helium. Man. I'm not doing. Let's go with no helium today. <laughs> Why don't you do helium and I'll do it, not do it? Uh, let's go no helium okay. today. We don't need helium every day. It'll be special occasions. All right. James, pick a card. Pick a life purpose card. Is this a trick? No. No tricks here. No, now now you got to read it. And then we can talk about it and see if it's relevant. 
The angels are supporting, guiding and protecting you as your dreams become a reality. Heart's desires. Does that resonate? Absolutely not. <laughs> does, that, does that ring true to you? Yeah, Do you yeah. think there are angels? Well, let me. See. I I think that rings true to you. I think there are angels. You do? Yeah, of course. Do you know what I've been doing? I do. Let me I mean, I think Nikola Tesla thought there were angels, and he was no idiot. He was definitely not an idiot. Right, and he liked pigeons. Did he? Apparently. Do you know? Let's talk about this other thing that I'm a bit obsessed with. Okay. And that is a uh, Japanese denim. No, I was going to talk about uh, either Louis Armstrong, or I'm watching a lot of shows about uh, the uh, like ghosts uh-huh. and shit like that. Yeah. And there's a bunch of TV shows which show things that I cannot explain. Right. And it's really making me think about things. You know, like what the hell is going on with their uh, you know, like uh, psychic powers and ghosts and things that don't make sense in the realm that we are living in. Yeah. Things moving, for instance, that, that you know, without anybody touching them. and That's happening. Crazy. Sh- oh, well, you see films of it on, yeah. the, on the telly. I didn't see that. It's on the telly. I believe. I believe we're. All, I believe we're all psychic. I believe we're all like tapped into like what like genius comes from the same sort of like. There's a mainframe of human consciousness, and we're all little cell phones wandering around, and we can tap all tap into the same mainframe, and that's what psychic power is, and we all have that ability, but most of us don't sort of utilize it or realize it. That's my, uh, my belief. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. I'm definitely in this uncertainty. Yeah. I'm unsure about a lot of these things. I've got no... Me too, though. I've got... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm open to it. I'm open. I don't claim to we don't, know any of We this. don't know... Every, we don't know... Of we're course, not at the limit of human knowledge. Of course not. We're at the very beginning of we, human knowledge. And we only have like five senses and we're... It's ob- like we know, even, you know, that we don't aren't perceiving reality as it is necessarily. That, yeah. We know that, yeah. so... And this, these shows that I've been watching... What are the shows? Oh, you know, they're like... Kind of... I don't know what they're called, like... Kind of ghostly shows and supernatural shows, they're all highly entertaining, but there's definitely things going on that are hard to explain, yeah, like what? in the rational world. Well, like um, things moving without being touched, and responses from just things that we can't explain that are going on around us. What moved without being touched? There's tons you of things explain it like, to us. um. Like a hat would move without yeah, being touched. Or, or a spoon would just stand up and fly across the room. Really? Or, well, there's just videos of this shit. And you think it's real? I don't know. Seems like that might be fake. Yeah. Like, I, I'm like, yeah. I, I'm a magical thinker. I'm yeah. prone to magical thinking, Yeah. for instance. Yeah. Or what you would call magical thinking. Yeah. And when I hear that, though. Yeah. When I hear it, I think it's all rubbish. I'm like, okay, that's But when I see it. And then I see people on TV reacting to it, saying that it's, you know, very believable that this, they heard it, and they're filming it. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much film now. Everybody's filming everything on their phones. Yeah, but I just don't trust what's on television. I, I hear guess. you. Yeah. I, I don't either. Yeah. But I am definitely seeing a lot of stuff that might be bogus, but the people who are doing it are very believable. And there's so much about it, which is making me 
think about these things. I'm I'm a, I'm a skeptic, you know. I'm a skeptic about all these. Yeah, things. Yeah, I'm surprised you're even going. I this am. Far I'm surprised myself from what you've said thus far. Yeah. It, it, well, you know, I'm, it, it's a contradictory state. You know, it's a contradiction for me. We are vast. We contain multitudes. You see, I'm open to this idea. I'm not. I don't believe we're at the we're at the limit of human knowledge. There's things going on that we do not understand of as course. human beings. Yeah. Now, what is that? And that's what I'm. That's what I mean too. In terms of this whole, I I feel like the planet Earth. Like this is a testing ground. Like this is. You might be right. Like I don't think this is like, and I don't think death. What do you think happens when we die? Do you think it's the end, or do you yeah. think it's the beginning? Well, I do think it's the end, but then I watch these TV shows and I think, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the end at all, personally. But well, why don't we know anything? We don't know anything about that. You but know? I think that's the fun part. Yeah, and this is the investigation in these shows. I think this is the question that they're trying to they're trying to get to. Yeah, and the, the you know it's this these things that are now becoming more filmed and yeah and, and the. Uh, you think what the hell is going on in this video in this clip yeah well you know like uh i, I said this before on this podcast but like elon musk said that this is uh what do you what do you call it a simulation that the chances that this that whole the whole our whole experience of life on earth the chances that it isn't a simulation is one in billions what does it mean a simulation meaning that like i guess like kind of like a video game like because he's saying the nature of video games are evolving like to the point where we won't be able to discern reality from virtual reality essentially soon. The way like it started with Pong and then it got better and better and better and virtual reality and in very in short order we won't be able to distinguish reality from virtual reality. So therefore we are already living in virtual reality. Ah. That that was something he said. Yeah. So if you if if that's true and you know maybe it is i mean I, I i consider elon musk to probably have more brain power than i do and if he thinks that i, I mean at least i'll at least i'll entertain the idea and so if that's true then mm. that means all bets are off if if that is even vaguely true i guess but it's just one guy with one idea that's isn't it? true you know whatever. he's got yeah i mean he's got no more brains than you or i really he's got a lot more money that's true <laughs> my life purpose has flowers working with flowers opens your heart and brings blessings to others through your life purpose you know and okay on the surface of that that's like the goofiest life purpose card you could probably get especially as a dude who likes to box however i have been painting flowers lately there you go so that that's freaky it's kind of freaky yeah that's freaky, man. Right? So how's your painting going, man? Who's your favorite Thank painters? You. Oh, like Cy Twombly is a huge one for me. I love Basquiat. I love uh, Jackson Pollock and William de Kooning. I love Joan Mitchell. Who's, I love abstract expressions. You like the, re the Gerhardt Recto, his name is? Yeah. You like that stuff? Yeah, I do. I love that. I love that stuff, too. And then the, there's a Miro exhibit at the Museum of Modern Art right now that I want to go see. Uh, He's a huge He's influence a, yeah, to great. me. I paint down here, actually. Do you? Yeah. In this room? No, just back there. Yeah, back there. Oh, oh okay. I don't know what, what is back there. Yeah. That's a great thing, man. I mean, I saw the Ron Wood, you know, he does the music he's and the painting, great. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I love Ronnie great. Wood. Yeah, right. He's got that. You know, did you on. ever hear uh, I've Got My Own Album to Do? I, you know that with, one? With, with, with uh, Denny Lane, was it? Is that? Uh, I, I, I know. When was that done? In like the seventies, right? Yeah, right before he joined the Stones. Actually, I, had, I, I have heard it's it. A it's great, a long time ago. I'll go check it it's out. It's a great album. Track three, "Mystify Me." 
Yeah, I've heard wonderful that song. song. Wonderful song. Yeah, uh, lovely man. I'll, I'll check him out. I love Ron Wood. I do too. What a haircut! I mean, the best hair of all time. <laughs> no, Steve Conti's got the best hair. Who's that? Oh, the New York. They know oh, Steve. New York Dolls. Yeah, oh, he's okay. a guitar player friend of mine. He's got oh. he's got the best hair in rock and roll. Cool. <laughs> he looks amazing, Steve. Shout out for Steve. <laughs> Shout out, Steve. Yeah, he just played. Uh came out with Ian Hunter. You opened up for Ian Hunter. Oh yeah, let's talk about that. 80th birthday. 80th how birthday. Did that yeah. yeah how, and with and let's talk about Emmy. Emmy, right? Yeah. Well, Emmy texted me a couple of months ago. Said, "Let's open for Hunter at the air." Uh, Emmy's a huge Mott fan. Uh, you know, I'm a Mott fan, but Emmy's a huge Mott fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emmy said, "Let's um, open for Hunter at the at the City Winery." So I'm asked James Mastro, who was who was uh, Ian's guitar player dude, and Mastro was kindly enough to. Um, put us on the bill i think hunter did four nights there you did great that night i loved well, that show yeah, well that was with Emmy and, yeah. and brian mm-hmm. as well yeah so that was great to play with those those musicians um so and i've i've opened for hunter in hunter a few times in the past are you a fan oh yeah big time no his voice is so beautiful mm-hmm. and as a as a songwriter he just keeps writing and writing great songs and how does he like Say st- stay so youthful. He at, told me at that it, age. it's a lot of salad. Oh, really? That's what he yeah, said. he's very thin. He's thin and eats salads a lot. But he doesn't seem frail at all. No, it just seems like he's. He, he looks like he's in. I don't know. He looks, looks like he's like in his sixties or fifties. You know? Yeah, fifties. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, really, like just kind of carries himself. Like, yeah, he's young at heart. Music keeps. He drinks champagne. That's all he drinks. Yeah, <laughs> apart from water, I assume. <laughs> yeah, everything in moderation. He M- music like keeps that. us young. It'll either keep you young or it'll kill you. Yeah, but if you make it past a certain point, it keeps you young. Well, he's testament to that. And we made it past that point. Have we? I think so. I'm hoping so. Is he like the (laughs) oldest rocker that's like, how old is Mick? Oh, yeah, he's older than Mick. Yeah, Mick's like in his 70s, isn't he? 75 or 76. Who's doing it on Ian's level in their 80s? I can't think of anybody. Nobody. No man, he's really doing it, and his his voice is so strong and so uh, it's beautiful, and his songwriting. He's still putting out records. You know, he's incredible. How old is Dylan? I mean, he must be pretty old. Getting there. I'll pick a card, but then how did you meet David Emmergluck and start playing with him? I can't shake that guy. <laughs> really, can't get rid of him. He clearly admires your songwriter, your songwriting, and your. And no, your, and your actually, Chris Seafried actually wanted me to ask you this exact question. Shout out, Chris Seafried. You know Chris? Yeah. Yeah. He was like, "How'd you how'd you hook up with Emmy?" Because I was like talking to Chris right before you came. And uh, well, we were. He wanted to know. D- Dave was playing at the um, Rockwood with some f- friends of mine, or people that I vaguely knew, and then. That sounds like a lyric. Yeah. You were some friends of mine, or people well, that I vaguely knew. Anyway, Dave it's came called, down to one see of me. You should dibs on that. <laughs> Get me a guitar. Let's co-write it. Dave saw me play at the Rockwood, I think, and then he come and said hello, and then he said, um, "I didn't really know him at all, but you know, we started to hang out." And then I, I said, "Well, I'm playing. I think I might have been doing a gig at the Eleventh Street Bar or something like that." And I said, "I'll oh, come and." come and play if you want come and sit in and he just sat in and we just became friends from there mm-hmm. and then we started how playing how long ago more. was that 
I want to. That's quite a long time ago. I think probably about seven or eight years. Longer. Really? Yeah. I saw you open up for the Monks of Doom at Club Europa yeah. in 2008, and that was 11 years ago. Okay, so it would have been before then, obviously. We're talking about the guitar player for the Counting Crows, for those David of you that don't know. David yeah. And you guys just do random, like you've done tours Emmy. in Italy. Yeah. yeah, we've toured in Italy a few times, and we've done a lot of gigs. You How know. many fights have you been in? None. Never. Never a disagreement. No, not really. Are you BFF? We're pretty pretty good. I mean, he uh, he comes to New York, you know, and uh, he lives in L.A. and oh, New York, right? And New York. Oh. So, you know, we see each other when he comes here, you know, as, as much as he want, as much as he, you know, he wants to, and we hang out. We're playing on Tuesday. We actually got a gig at the Eleventh Street Bar Tuesday, the eighteenth. Let's shout that out because yeah. will this come out before that or no? I don't know. Uh, when does this come out? Hold on. Holly's Holly Miranda's tomorrow. Craig Redren is on Tuesday. Then uh, Dave Hill is on Friday. And then James is the following Tuesday. So not this Tuesday, the following Tuesday. Oh, well, okay. That might be okay. 18th. We're, we're the, 18th. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, the day before. The day, the day before. Or the day of. The day of. All day right. of. Tonight. Okay, great. Tonight. James is playing tonight. At tonight. The 11th Street at bar. the Eleventh Street Bar, right around the corner. <laughs> it's going to be me and Dave and Brian. Oh, nice. All right, cool. So, uh, I mean, Dave's a great. He plays mandolin and the guitar. He's great. He wears the third eye thing. He does sometimes. So he's got a magical thinking side to him. Yeah. You guys don't talk about that too much. That's like a Hinduism thing. I yeah. Think, I don't know whether he wears it for effect gland. or whether he actually believes in anything that it stands for. Uh, but I see him wear it frequently. I feel like if you just wore it once, it could just be whatever. He's a poser. But if you're, if you're committed to it, I feel like it's a lifestyle. No, it's a pose. He's just trying to look cool. It does look cool, though. It does it look cool. It works. <laughs> it definitely looks cool. <laughs> What's your life purpose card say, Ehu? we got to wrap this one up. Know, and I still want to talk about Japanese denim. Healer. <laughs> you have the spiritual gift of healing and a desire to share it with others. Is that true? God. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of falling. Uh, James is affecting me today. James is winning today. <laughs> I picked two. Okay, the second one was freedom. You're free to do what you choose. I believe in that. Yes. You're yeah. not free to do what you choose. I do, uh, you don't think so? Of course not, you're not. not with what a, do you mean? Why? Why don't you think so? With a kid, so? a dog, and a girlfriend. Exactly. But you were free to choose to create a kid, a dog, and a girlfriend. Then you're in a prison. Anyway, of your own making. All right, I don't know about that. It's all how you. It's all how you paint it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm being very. Cynical. What's up with uh, Japanese <laughs> denim? I love my girlfriend, my daughter, and my dog. Of course, we know. Of course. That, <laughs> of course. What do you? What's what's your thing? I with got Japanese the, I denim. I got the. Uh, I used to live near this store on uh, Orchard Street, and I'd go in there and I'd look at this this denim, and I like denim. I like jeans and things like that. I, I always like. I like nice denim, nice things. You buy one pair of good jeans, yeah, and it lasts man. you forever. Why buy like a bunch of pairs of bullshit? My new philosophy is try to get one nice, fewer thing. better things. Of course, that's my philosophy. That's now. of course. So I'm trying to get rid of all of my clothes and just yeah. just keep it to a bare minimum as much as I can. Yeah. So I went into the shop and, and and I looked at these jeans and I thought, who is in their right mind going to pay three hundred dollars for a pair of jeans? Right. Not me. Then I, I would. Then I went in and a couple of, like six months later and I started looking at these jeans, and I thought, oh, 
what's going on? I may have tried a pair on, you know. This is a bit ridiculous, but I'm going to look into it. And then I then I looked, then I bought these jeans. And yeah. Then, Are they raw? Yeah. You don't ever wash them, right? You wash them when they need to be washed. Like after a year. If if you know if they stink tomorrow, I'd wash them tomorrow. I'm not like that. But there are people who are very no wash, no wash, right? Yeah. But if they smell my, I, I suggest you wash them. But <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I got into, and I thought oh, I like the denim, and I like the uh, the way it fades, and I like the fact that you, you that you they last a long time, and um, I just kind of got into it. So it's nice, <laughs> to, it's nice to have high quality stuff. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of these? They look good. They look good, right? These are Japanese, too. Oh, they're they're great. And and these were rather expensive, too. Yeah, they're great. And I I went to an Army-Navy store in L.A. and bought, like, a $35 version of this. And then in New York, I saw, like, a this is, like, a high-end version from Japanese. And, yeah, I'm the same way. I I want, like, two or three pair of pants, and that's it. Yeah. But then I have to paint in something else because yeah, I don't want to yeah. get paint in these. But but the thing is about these jeans, though, they're quite hot on a day like this. Yeah. And uh, that's a whole other thing about you know the thickness of the denim and whether you can wear it in the summer. And I'm kind of finding. Do you that do out. anything like exercise-wise to take care of yourself? I used to do a lot. I used to do a lot, and I got bored of it. Yeah. And I haven't really. I used to go to the gym a lot, but now I'm kind of in a a, da- a, a not exercising period right, right. now. <laughs> But I'll get back there. I just get back like, there. I just was like, yeah. I got so bored with it, and and I used to do a lot. You know, I used to do a lot of running and a lot of lot of weights and I gym. Love it. And it just makes such a huge difference to me. Yeah, you see, it never did to me. I'm, I get depressed so easily if do I you? don't. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Well, it is a great cure for 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 that Absolutely. type of feeling. Yeah. And anybody who's, I think, anybody who's depressed or anything should get out and do some exercise it's 100%. great for you yeah it's a great thing to do i'm just a bit lazy right now and i don't really like it so i'm a bit uninspired to do i used to do a bit of boxing as well with my friend in, boxing in, is so fun in in london i love that i think the problem is there's nowhere near me that, that it's just a running machine and a gym it's boring yeah but you can run i like to run by the east river you know, just go run, run yeah. east and then There's run. not much of that round bed style, you know, it's a bit ah. built up. Yeah. When I lived in London, there was parks. I used to run for miles every day all around all the parks. What about Prospect Park? Is that nearby? It's, no, it's not really that f- uh-huh. that near to me. So it sucks, really. So I, I kind of stopped exercising, but I've I got to get back into got it. Got to. But, uh, I Long just, walks. I like walking. Long walks and books on tape. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to inspire Books on tape, yeah, like audio books type thing. Do you yeah. ever listen to Dan Carlin? Do you Who's know, that? Dan Carlin. Yeah, I know that name. The podcaster. Yeah. His oh, yeah, yeah. Historical podcast. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I listen to a lot of his stuff. Yeah. I like Dan Carlin. He does lots of things on... Um, Did he do one on Theodore Roosevelt? I've not heard that, but they are, They are. you know, they can be on the Roman Empire. They can yeah, be on I Genghis Khan. They can be on, uh, you I know, the Second stuff. World War. He's very... Uh, He's brilliant. Dan Carlin. I listen to him. Maybe I'll go for a walk and listen to Dan Carlin. And Louis Armstrong. That's cool. Educated man. All right, well, let's wrap this one up, but let's pick one more from the Dragon deck just to see if we can make you a magical thinker before this podcast is over. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing this, James. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. What's it say? It says, White Gold Dragon from Lyra. 
connects you to the highest Christ light. Develop your causal chakra. Bathe in ninth dimensional Christ light. Should have given up when you hit Christ. Is that, <laughs> is that resonating? No, I don't know what I don't know what that means. <laughs> Connection to my highest Christ light. Do you feel connected? Do you feel more connected than when you started the podcast? No. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to. The highest Christ light. I don't really know what that means. I'm in the silver lunar dragon bathes you in divine feminine light. Come into balance and practice peace, harmony, and cooperation. Expand your casual chakra. I feel quite casual at the end of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want you to expand that anymore. No. It's I, maxed out. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite maxed out. Golden solar dragon helps you stand in your masculine power with wisdom. Boom. On that note. High note. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Maddock. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thanks for coming. That's a wrap. (laughs) That was fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming. What a laugh.